self-driving cars are great on paper, but maybe we're rushing them to the road a little fast. There's a lot to consider in terms of safety and even more to consider when it comes to our economy. I'm talking self-driving cars with my co-host Leah Hitchens today on Science Island on KACRLP Alameda 96.1. So Grant, today we're talking about something um, pretty important. We're talking about autonomous driving or self-driving cars. Um, when we started talking about doing this show, what was that, maybe a couple weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Um, the fatal car crash incident in Tempe, Arizona, where a pedestrian was killed by an Uber self-driving car still hadn't occurred. Yeah. Um, this is newly timely. Yes, it's very timely, but it also sort of puts our conversation in maybe a different light than we were talking about it initially, but it's good to have that context. It and, is. Have you yeah. have you driven in a self-driving car? I haven't. Have you? Yes, I have. <gasps> I was hoping you'd ask me that, Leo. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of town, Grant. So when did it happen? So this was at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas two years ago, and mm-hmm. uh, Delphi Automotive had a car which went around the strip. It was regular traffic. There was an engineer at the wheel, but he didn't actually drive. And you know, they showed me kind of how it could go, how it could deal with certain types of traffic and people cutting us off, and how it dealt with red lights and yellow lights. Uh, it was actually kind of a slow, boring ride compared to the cabs that I took because it always went the speed limit. Mm-hmm. Something you, you, you don't you don't think about coming, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then at this year's CES, Keolis had um, an autonomous shuttle shuttling uh, convention goers between different spaces in the convention hall. Would you get on an autonomous shuttle? I guess you would if you got into a self-driving car already. I, I got on the self-driving car. Uh, yeah, I I think it's really exciting space. I think it's going to save a lot of lives. But I, I think we might be rushing it. I think we might be rushing it. Yeah. So, you know, within that context, let me play for you um, a clip of some people who have just taken their first self-driving car ride on a Google Waymo um, autonomous driving vehicle. Oh, it's really cool. It was like really kind of a space age experience. Oh, okay. You sit, relax, you don't need to do nothing. It knows when you need to stop, it knows when you need to go. <laughs> it actually rides better than my own car. Yes. <laughs> what she really liked was that it slowed down before it went around a curve and then accelerated in the, in curve. the curve. She's always trying to get me to do, do it that way. That's the way I learned in <laughs> high school drivers. Um, so that reaction, so that um, footage was taken in 2014 when Google was first starting to roll out some of the vehicles that we've now seen on Mountain View streets for a few years now. And just based on that background music, like how did that make you feel, Grant? Uh, 
totally calm. I, I was I had a completely blank Zen mind up here while I was listening to that. <laughs> yeah, like all these people on, and obviously this is a Google promo for autonomous driving. All these people are sort of carefree, like they're letting it all go because they don't have to worry about traffic. Um, the sweet elderly couple is getting along great because the wife doesn't have to put up with the guy's terrible driving. It's all like good feelings. Um, but of course, we know that it isn't always that easy. Um, the regulatory space that you mentioned, I'm sure like you foresee some challenges there, right? Yeah, so... Let me just say, when I started covering this space, I went to a lot of different car companies who were trying to move into autonomous cars. And this was two years ago. The way they were talking, I would almost expect that we would have cars right now. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. I kind of, I feel like the technology might be a little bit stuck or a little bit behind where some of the more optimistic views of it are. But Talking to Toyota, for instance, they were working on an autonomous driving platform, and they wanted to get one trillion miles of test of testing before they released it to the public. Tesla was very proud of releasing this semi-autonomous uh, highway driving, and they released it with 1.6 billion test miles. It's a big difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you kind of got to wonder if they're rushing it. So a couple years ago, the, the numbers being thrown around were 99.9% .9 of the time, these cars would be fine. And you think about that number, that seems pretty good. Well, the average person drives 1,000 miles a month. So that means that there's a whole mile a month where this car has no idea what it's doing. Hmm. And that's kind of a terrifying space to be in. Yeah, it's like if you get on a plane and you know like one minute of that plane ride is going to have an issue. <laughs> exactly. And so that's kind of why it doesn't surprise me that we're having the problems that we are now or that we had that death uh, in Arizona a couple days ago. I, yeah. I think we're at a dangerous point. If you watch the video of that accident the person who's supposed to be behind the wheel is completely in a different world. And I don't know if they were watching the road, whether they could have prevented that. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say that they could, but they were not watching the road. They did not have their hands hovering over the wheel or whatever you were supposed to be doing. So we might be at this point where we're all getting lulled into this, Hey, relax. You're in an, an autonomous vehicle. And, yet these cars are also going to have th things that they can't deal with or they haven't been trained on how to deal with yet because we are kind of rushing them out. Yeah. And so so in that instance, in Tempe, it was obviously a failure of the Uber perception system. And I was reading that it was, you know, a 35-mile-per-hour zone, very typical. The car was going 40, which seems very much in line with what, a regular driver would be doing. Um, so the question is, like, how could it just go so wrong? Um, obviously, Uber engineers are hopefully all over it. Um, they decided to go ahead and pull autonomous v 
vehicles from four North American cities till they have it figured out. And then meanwhile, here in California, our DMV is going to be starting to issue permits next month um, for companies to test truly self-driving cars on public roads. So that means there isn't necessarily somebody behind the wheel. So let me make the case on why we should rush these things to the road, even though I I don't agree with myself 100% on this. (laughs) 37,000 road deaths a year um, in in America. And they estimate that that would go down to under 10 in the next 10 years if we keep rolling out at the speed that we're going and then even further. So, I mean, that's hundreds of thousands of lives this thing could save over the course of our lives. And we could theoretically be living in a world where driving in a car is one of the safest things we do. Yeah, and which would be amazing. It makes me feel a lot more confident about my kids learning to drive and also uh, I think so about, too. oh yeah, and also about just all the other distracted drivers on the road. I see somebody texting while driving at least twice a day, every day. Yeah, oh, easily. And I worry that these, especially in the early years, autonomous cars are going to make that worse. Like we're going to be getting in these Teslas where really you're not supposed to take your eyes off the road. That's not what they're telling you to do. They may kind of be winking when they sell it to you. But, uh, you know, we could be in a situation where we're in a slightly more dangerous car Hmm. Yeah. And I wonder if there's something around like having a special licensing system for people who own this type of vehicle. Like you have to have a really clean driving record or something along those lines before you can go purchase um, a level five autonomous vehicle. So they know you're sort of trustworthy. And speaking of level five, there are five levels to autonomous driving. Level zero is just when the, the vehicle has some sort of automated system that issues warnings, um, which is actually, that feels like, not to say a standard feature of a car, but a lot of our cars now have you know parking assist and uh, warning sensors, that sort of thing. And then it goes all the way up to level five where Um, it's steering wheel optional. Um, So there's such a large range between zero and five. And I think when most people think of autonomous driving, they're thinking of that steering wheel optional mode. So here's, here's the argument I would make on why we should slow our roll a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. According to government studies, like something like 60 to 80% of the, of the lives that will be saved get kicked in with just the second level of autonomous driving. And I think that's like, you know, lane assist, um, Mm -hmm. when you're blind spot protection, just some minor collision stuff. So we're really close to getting a lot of gains on autonomous cars without having them drive for us. So maybe we should take our time a little bit. Yeah. Ease into it. And speaking of easing into it, you know, the the sort of um, track that we've been on with autonomous driving over the years has obviously evolved. 
Um, I would say that it's evolved just since March 18th when this fatal uh, Uber crash happened. Um, but since the 30s, when autonomous features started to be tested, because they've been tested for that long, um, there's been this sort of evolution of our expectations of what a self-driving car is. So, for example, um, in the 50s and 60s into the 70s, it was thought of as more of like a remote control option. So somebody outside the vehicle was in charge of that vehicle. Um, Interesting. And it was seen as more of um, a remedy for this new thing called traffic congestion um, because of the new national highway system. People were experiencing um, traffic jams for the first time. And so scientists were thinking about, like, what could we do about this? And a lot of the expectation was around something like an air traffic control tower or a traffic control tower somewhere off to the side of the highway, sort of moving the cars around like remote-controlled vehicles. I'm going to play for you in a clip of a British news report from 1971 that sort of describes that. Sometime in the future, they say... Every vehicle on the main road network could be taken by remote control all the way to its destination. It may seem a bit of a pipe dream at the moment, but researchers say that robot cars may well be in everyday use within 30 years. So just 30 years into the future, Grant. And that just was 1971. In yep. <laughs> it was so all I going to be figured out. <laughs> I once talked to the king of automobile safety, Ralph Nader, about self-driving cars and he really wasn't that into it which kind of surprised mm -hmm. me but one thing he mentioned was in the 70s or 80s there was a congressman who proposed having a highway system where you would latch your car onto some sort of cable which would keep it in a lane for as long as the car drove and prevent people from going off yeah anyway yeah never happened but like I see the benefit of that, as I'm sure you do, as anybody who's been on a congested highway where there are terrible drivers would be like, yeah, that's a really great idea. So this is something that's sort of like germinating and just like the um, sort of journey that the auto industry has been on with um, coming up with new ways of driving and, you know, making people comfortable with those new modes of driving from the very beginning, it's almost been an assumption that we're progressing toward autonomous driving. The thing I kind of think we might be the same amount of time out that people were giving me two years ago when I was talking to them on the record. Like I bet most people would still say five to 10 years, which is what they were telling me two years ago. So Mm -hmm. I kind of wonder, I wonder what's happened. Has the technology hit some sort of ceiling? Is the AI not as good as they thought it was? Um, yeah. And, and maybe part of it is um, like on an emotional level, are we going to be accepting of it? Um, I dug up a study recently about uh, Gen Zennial's attitude toward self-driving cars. Grant, are you familiar with what a Gen Zennial is? No, I'm not. What is it? I don't even know how to say that. It's classified as somebody who's currently 16 to 24 years old. Okay, so these are people we don't want driving. 
generally not, but they are. That was they're that was the 16. most dad joke in history. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So the study that Ketchum did, it's a global PR agency. They surveyed a thousand of these quote Gen Zennials specifically about how they felt about self-driving cars, um, because I think a lot of people's expectation is. Like, I'm never going to personally have a self-driving car, but I bet maybe my kids will or, like, younger people will be into it. Mm-hmm. So they they went ahead and conducted the survey to figure out if that was actually the case. Like, do these younger people feel more comfortable with it or not? And what they found was that 38% of those respondents are worried about self-driving technology versus... Wow. 29% who are, quote, excited about it. So that an- anxious feeling, that anxiety um, that I think permeate, permeates a lot of our discussion about the topic is actually something that younger people are feeling too. So can I give us another reason to be terrified for self-driving cars? Sure, obviously. It is going to absolutely blow up our economy. Oh, All right, so describe how that's going to (laughs) happen. Every Uber driver you've ever had will no longer have a job. Every truck driver in this country will no longer have a job. Mm -hmm. And that's that's something like 20% of the workforce. Wow, is it really that high? Yeah, truck driving is the most common job in America. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's going to have a real effect. And, you know, our, our perception of... Uh, you know, this new sort of economy where people have multiple jobs and maybe all of them are not full-time and there aren't benefits attached, I would think that would also be just a really big part of it too. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not just autonomous driving, although it looks like that might be the first wave of automation to hit us, but we are in for some real economic shock and it's totally unclear how we're going to deal with that. Um yeah, but, but somebody somebody's going to make money out of this scenario. Like the it, there's obviously a reason why so many companies are investing in the space and are being um aggressive about sort of planning their flag. Um Nvidia is a big player um you know working with auto manufacturers, Qualcomm, which obviously you know them from your smartphone. Um they're also actively trying to plant a flag and they recently acquired NXP. So they're making a definite play for it. Um, I would love to figure out how to be part of the action on that end versus the other end of it. So if I could get a little bit leftist for a minute, it's, it's almost going to be a parody of capitalism because all you will need to be able to make money is the ability to have enough money to buy a robot to drive for you. So mm-hmm. all the income inequality that we're suffering with now is going to just go to hyperdrive. So I got, I got drive in there. Yep. Yep. That Good was... pun, Grant. Good pun. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I feel like we were part of that generation where people were still um, saving up as teenagers to buy their first car. And that was like a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do see your point around, like, if it's about a driverless car, there's no way that the the majority of young people would actually be able to ever afford that. 
Yeah, and I just think you take a company like Uber, they're going to presumably own their own fleet of self-driving cars. They're, the number of their employees will go down from, I don't know, a million worldwide right now to tens of thousands. I mean, it's going to have some real repercussions. Yeah, and that was um, another sort of section of this um, study of, of the young kids, the Gen Zennials. Um, that 12% of them don't ever expect to own a car because of ride-sharing services. I actually felt like that percentage was lower than I expected. Yeah, that's surprising. Because I know quite a few people personally who live in urban areas who rely on ride-sharing services and don't have cars already because of it. Uh Uh-huh. I don't think I can quite do that, but I... I think it's admirable maybe if you could get rid of your car, but I I don't think it's going to happen for my family anytime soon. Sure. Yeah. And it's definitely something that it saves so much money if you just completely never own the car in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have noticed like people seem to care less about having multiple vehicles um, because they have sort of a fallback. Like if you're stuck somewhere, you can always call uber or lyft or whatever right have an instant ride yeah no it's changed things it's changed things and i think having automatic drivers you're probably even going to be less likely to want to buy your own car and feel like you can call a car anytime you want so it, it might shake up in addition to shaking up the truck driving industry the taxi driving industry the car insurance industry it it will probably also shake up the car ownership and manufacture industries. Yeah. And so when you have done interviews with people on the auto manufacturing side, you mentioned Toyota earlier. Like, is there any sense of like concern on their part around that? Like people are going to be less emotionally attached to having their own vehicle in a way. I wouldn't say concern, but I think most people would be surprised how much thought they've put into that next step and how ready they are to have like community ownership of cars rather than having something that you have in your driveway. Like they, they see this, this stuff coming and they are preparing for it. Sure. Um, and it has, I mean, it's been a really long time now. Um, Carnegie Mellon was one of the first, um, stateside, uh, institutions to really put an actual um, a fully autonomous vehicle um, on a road and get it to work. Um, I'm going to play for you a 1996 news report um, about that first autonomous vehicle from Carnegie Mellon. Pull up alongside a vehicle of the not-so-distant future and take a good look inside. Researchers call them smart cars, and they could give the phrase backseat driver a whole new meaning. That's the goal, actually, of the automated highway system, is to allow a commuter on his morning commute to sit back and, um, you know, catch up on work, make phone calls. Scientists at Carnegie Mellon University have been building prototypes of automated driverless vehicles for the last 10 years. So Carnegie Mellon is one of those institutions that's certainly known for being on the cutting edge. And so that was in 1996. And they were talking about, you know, this has been 10 years in the making. 
1986. So just think about like a baby born in 1986 is now how old? Do the math. Oh my gosh. Why would you spring that on me? 21. Like like 32, right? Wait, 31? 32? 32. I don't know. I mean, that's like a fully grown adult with like a full-time job, maybe like a mortgage, you know? Like this has been a very long, (laughs) long on-ramp. Yeah, definitely. Um, So the fact that, you know, people like you and me can think of all the sort of challenges to it and just tick them off and not necessarily have like a clear sense of what the solution is. I'm sure the people on the auto manufacturing side who see this possibly as a deal breaker for part of their industry, I'm sure they've been thinking about it in depth for a long time now. Yeah, I think that's true. I think they are far more prepared for this than the rest of us. Yeah, we're sort of at their mercy, if you will. So, Leah, before we end the show, can I just say we nailed it on Facebook last week? Yep. Zuckerberg 2020. (laughs) I don't want to say we predicted the events of this previous week, but we pretty much predicted the events of this previous week. Yeah. um, It was really good timing. Uh, Well, we can't really talk about any of that in like a positive way, right? Like good being completely completely relative. You, You are now actively thinking about just cutting off your Facebook account entirely, right? I so I didn't cut it off, but I put it on hold today, or whatever that is is uh-huh. called on there. Um, I've just been a lot more conscious about the amount of data I'm putting into the world. I've deleted all my old tweets. You can only look back thirty days now on my Twitter. Uh, wow. Yeah, I've just. I, I'm going to call it data hygiene. I'm practicing data hygiene. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a spring one, cleaning, if you will. One of the ironies of the internet and of the world is that even if I take care of my data, someone else is currently not taking care of my data, like one of my friends, one of my family, one of the myriad of businesses I I work with. But I feel like, you know, I'm I'm washing my hands. I'm starting a, a positive habit that I hope the rest of the world will pick up. Yeah, I think it's a good a good mode of being that you're modeling for all of us. <laughs> And just to just to refresh our listeners' memory, if they didn't catch last week's show, last week yeah. we talked about um, the genesis of fake news and how um, it really was an outgrowth of social media networks and the technology that we just have sort of um, flowing through our everyday lives now. Right, right. Um, and I think this last week showed that Facebook was on both sides of it it didn't just serve this fake news but it also gave you know some bad people the ability to really peer into our minds and manipulate us and create fake news for us so it was on both ends of the the fake news problem yeah that this is sort of maybe we're getting to a point where we're going to have a full circle moment um it's been kind of a long a long road, especially in um, 2000s time. Like six months is forever in, in the social media development space. 
Um, mm-hmm. So the fact that this was a few years in the making is um, kind of shocking in and of itself. Yeah, definitely. So that's it for Science Island on KACR 96.1 in Alameda. You can find us online at Sci Island on Twitter or listen to our episodes on SoundCloud. 